series called Fighting for Family. If we haven't met, I'm Ryan, and I'm just so glad that uh, you're here. And I hope the series so far has been an encouragement to you. I hope that as we have talked about marriage and we've talked about uh, family relationships and different dynamics, that it's been thought-provoking, that it's, uh, it's, it's brought about discussions with those in your household, uh, whether they live with you or extended family, that has been nothing but encouraging and a blessing. If you've missed any messages up to this point, just always remember, you can go back to our church website, Facebook, or YouTube. You can catch any of those messages and get caught up and be encouraged or share those with other people uh, as, as well. Before we jump in the Word this morning, can you do me a favor? Uh, pastors rarely ask you to do this, but would you pull out your cell phone? And uh, on a Sunday morning, that is. And would you, uh, either in your bulletin uh, on this page here or on the screen behind, they're going to see a QR code. And what I'm going to ask you to do, if you would, is would you take a moment and scan that QR code uh, right now? What this is going to bring you to is it's going to bring you to the Facebook page that is the Marriage Conference. Because the thing is, we're looking at in this sermon series, but also we know this in life. Family life is hard. Marriage can be hard. We need tools and encouragement. And this is our event on Facebook. And what I'm asking you to do is, would you, whether or not you're married or not, whether or not you plan to attend or not, would you share this event on your page? Because there are people all over Dallas County, in your neighborhood, beyond, in Des Moines, or even further, who will say, I, I want to come to this. This is a, a remarkable opportunity uh, for these families, these couples to be encouraged. And this is a great way that we can just help spread the word. We've got a great sign up already, but we want to just continue to get the word out there for people to be a part of this special uh, event that's happening here at the end of October. So thank you for doing that. And if you don't do it now, maybe it's later on in the day, you can grab through the bulletin, grab that QR code and, uh, and share that with with others. As I mentioned already, family life can be hard. It's a blessing. It's a good thing, but there's challenges. Ever go through times when you experience just low-grade frustrations? Or maybe with your spouse or your family, you just seem like you can never get on the same page, like you have different pursuits and priorities where, where things just aren't sinking right, and you just feel like saying, what is going on here? Like, what's the problem? Why are we never sort of aligned here as a couple or a family? If you've ever felt that, and my hunch is that's 100% of us here on campus and watching online. This is all of us. We've gone through these moments. This morning, what I want to do is get underneath that. I want to dig a little bit behind that and explore something that we probably rarely have ever thought about that may be, if not the primary, certainly a significant contributing factor for why there's these types of experiences that we have as households. Today, we're gonna to talk about something again that might be not necessarily a new topic, but one that we don't think about when it comes to family. Here's our big idea for this morning and your first fill in the blank. It's this, that a godly family knows how to worship. A godly family knows how to worship. Now, when I say this, I want to be very clear. What I do not mean is that the goal of a family is to be the Von Trapp family singers. Like that's, that's not what we're talking about. Worship in terms of praise is good. And that's a part of worship. But what I'm talking about this morning is bigger than that. It's, it's about lifestyle. It's about pursuit. It's about heart. See, worship is who or what you pursue more than anything else. It is that thing that has your heart, it has your wallet, it has your time and attention, and it has your obedience. Whatever that thing is, 
whether it's God or something else, that's what you worship. That is what you are running after. Now, I want to suggest to us this morning that where you place your worship, you as an individual, is so critically important. Maybe one of the most important things about you. And let me demonstrate that with a passage that many of us are familiar with in Daniel chapter three. And by the way, we're gonna be jumping to different passages today. So there wasn't one place that I asked you to turn to in your Bibles, but having them out is super important. So Daniel chapter three is where we're gonna begin our journey this morning. To see in this narrative account of where you place your worship is significant. Now, Daniel 3, starting in verse 1, let's just read it together. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, now he's the king of Babylon many, many years ago. It says that he made an image of gold 60 cubits high. Let me translate that. That's 90 feet tall, so approximately a nine-story statue, and six cubits wide or nine feet wide. This is huge. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So, so what's going on here is King Nebi's built this statue and his goal, his, what he's after is he wants the people to worship this statue or this image. That's what he wants to see happen. It continues on, it says that he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial, uh, prov- provincial uh, officials. In other words, what this is, is he's called all of his government employees the people that work for him, the people that depend on him. All of them are at this grand opening event before the statue for this occasion. So he, he pulls them together, continue on, says to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. And so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And here was the idea that in this dedication, that once the herald came out and said, we're about to begin, and for the king, the edict was, once you hear the worship music begin, you bow down and worship. This is church. This is what this event is all about. The statue is there. The employees are there. And, and he, he's calling out that you have to worship. And if you don't, it's an or else situation. Because if you don't, there was the burning furnace that was nearby stoked super hot that if you didn't worship the statue, you got thrown into the furnace. And let me pause here real quick and highlight something. This is the way that the evil one always goes about worship. It's always through fear and through threats. The devil knows you will never worship him out of love. And so he will always use fear and threat. God is not like that. God invites you to worship him out of love. He loves you and he longs for you to love him. And the worship that we have of him is an invitation of love, but the enemy is the exact opposite. And by the way, it's the same today. Watch this in current events. Watch this in terms of what we see going on in culture. It's fear and it's threats that is forcing and manipulating worship of things, anything other than God today. And so the king has this clear edict that he lays out here. And then the text continues, the music began and all the government officials, because they depend on him, they bow down and they begin to worship the statue. Well, almost everybody. Anybody remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These three Jewish men who in the whole crowd, as they all bow down, they're still standing. Point, you know, standing out like a sore thumb, if you will. And so they noticed that these men were not bowing down to worship. Let's jump to verse 12, because the report comes back to the king. 
It says that there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, paid no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, what we have here in this moment on that occasion is we have a worship war. That's what we have. You have the king and his edict and the statue on one corner, and you have these three men in the other who are willing to put their life on the line in terms of who they're going to worship. It's such a big deal to them that they will not bow down and do that. And what I want to call out is that isn't just this, this scene isn't just something that happened. It's something that happens today. It happens in your life. See, every single day you are in a worship war. Every single day you wake up with a decision of who am I going to worship or what am I going to worship? Every day we experience, whether you realize it or not, the crossroads of what your day will entail and how you're going to live it and how you're gonna move forward in it. You and I, we worship You're built by God to worship. The question is, where are you gonna worship? And the war that rages within you for that is real. See, worship happens everywhere. It happens all the time. It happens in in, in this very day, for example, you take, you got worship, you got worship in churches, you've got worship in temples and mosques, but you also have worship in living rooms at car shows and at sports arenas. You have worship in NFL stadiums on Sunday, Monday, and Thursday all over the country. That is worship. And you have worship in all these different arenas that capture people's hearts and attention and their longing and their allegiance. Their wallet and their heart follows that. And that's what we see here in our culture today. Everybody breathes, everybody blinks their eyes, and everybody worships. So the question is, who do you worship? You see, God knows something that sometimes we forget or don't know. What he knows about worship is something so, so incredibly important and significant. And it's your next fill in the blank because he knows that worship is a big deal. And here's why, because you and I become like what we worship. It isn't just some innocent thing. It isn't just sort of a Sunday morning activity for an hour at New Hope Church or anywhere else you go. You become like what you worship. And that is the principle that we see. Now, now hang with me on this here. Check this out. Um, You can turn there if you want, but Psalm 115 is so clear in unpacking this. This is, this is a psalm that is a stunning rebuke of the nations of that day and the people that were living in this posture of rejection of God. We're gonna pick up in verse four. It says, but their idols, in other words, these, these objects that the people worshiped at that time, these people that had rejected God, but their idols, they're, they're made of silver and gold made by human hands. And they have mouths, but they can't speak. There's eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. In other words, these objects can't do anything. Uh, They have hands, but they cannot feel. Uh, Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Now, here's the key. Those who make them, in other words, make these idols, those who make them, there it is, will be like them. 
And so will all who trust in them or worship them. The people that make the idols, the people that worship the idols, they become like the idols. The principle again, you and I become like what we worship. It's what shapes us. And so, so in other words, let me give you an example. If you're a person who loves the Lord and you worship the Lord, you worship him above all, that is your heart's desire and passion, then guess what? Through that process, not just of song, but of obedience and life in pursuit, you become more like him. See, you become more loving because God is loving. And as you pursue that, you become more holy. Why? Because that's who he is. And as we worship him, we become more like him in these types of attributes. We become, as we might say, more Christ-like. And that's a good thing. But make no mistake, the principle holds if you and I worship and pursue anything else except God. Uh, For example, if you worship money, then you will become more greedy. If you worship sex, then you will become a person who will become more self-obsessed and you will view people as objects. If you are a person who worships material things and possessions, you will become more materialistic. If you're a person who, who worships in their pursuit of power, then, then you will you, you view people as objects again to be used. You'll become more scheming and more heartless. You get the idea. We become just like who or what we worship. Who you choose to worship is a big, big deal. And this is why there's a battle. You have an enemy that is pulling you in one direction. You have the Lord that is inviting you in the other. You have the, the, the desires within you that are waging war. You have the culture and world that we live in that is tugging at you. You every day have this worship war that you wake up into that you have to decide, how am I gonna navigate this? How am I gonna move forward in this? And who is gonna be the one that has my heart and allegiance? And the thing about it, it's really a binary decision, meaning you only have two options. Every day you can wake up and you can can choose either to worship the creator, the one creator, or a hundred million billion other things that are in creation. It comes down to the creator or creation. And every single one of us every day is locking into one of those things. We are locking into the one who created heaven and earth, the Lord, the one who created us to worship, the one who is worthy of our worship, or we're picking something in his creation and we're locking onto that for whatever reason that we may have. And that becomes the thing that we pursue and that becomes the things that we have our heart. Now, please hear this. You will always struggle. And let's extend that out to your family. Your family will always struggle if you seek to get from creation what you were only ever meant to get from your creator. You will struggle. You will battle you will still live with this ache or longing in your heart. You will still have the mantra or anthem of you too from years ago. I still haven't found what I'm looking for because none of it ultimately can satisfy. Yeah, maybe in the minute, maybe for the week, but ultimately the, the gap is still there. And the longing for the only one that you were created to worship is still, that void is still pressing. So here's my question for us. 
Here's my question. Who are we worshiping today? Who you worship, it matters. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bend the knee. This is why they were able to say, it's a line I will not cross because it's such a big deal who I worship. I'm, I'm okay to go to the burning fire. For all they knew at that moment, it was, it was over and their life was done. But sometimes we don't think quite the same way about the role, the value, and the importance of worship in our life. So what does this have to do with your family? This is where I want to camp for a few minutes that we have left together this morning. Because you and every member of your family, we are wise to remember, are worshipers living for something. Let me say it a different way. You and every member of your family are treasure hunters. And you're looking for treasure. You're looking for something that you are longing for, that thing that captivates your heart the thing that you want more than anything else, and this orients how you live. The treasure that you long for shapes, orients, and somebody determines how you live. This is why Jesus said this in Matthew 6, uh, 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is you. We are treasure hunters, every single one of us, And so this is important to remember. So what is the treasure that you're hunting? And what is the treasure that your family is hunting? I want to introduce you to someone here. I want to introduce you to Adele, Amy, and Adam. They're fictitious. Sometimes in the office we talk about them. Adele, Adam, and Amy, they simply are a snapshot of the demographic of Dallas County. This is sort of the the sum average of the people or the people that live here. Adele, Adam, and Amy, they're 41-year-old. They're both moderately educated. They both work. They love their community, but they don't shop here. They love the schools. Uh, They feel busy, overstretched, financially stretched, but they, you know, they love the community that they live in. This This is Adele, Adam, and Amy. They have their three kids. But I want you to notice above here, their their worship bubbles that are floating there. These different things that that are the, the treasure that they're hunting. The dad's it's the work promotion. It's a daughter who wants to be accepted by friends. The other one who is working so hard to the point of exhaustion to somehow uh, get into a good enough college or a college that'll make uh, her family proud of her. A son who's trying to get his dad to be proud of him. We fill in these things that become the treasure that we long for, including, by the way, good things. But see, when good things replace God and become the God thing, they cease to be good things. Every single one of you and every single person in your family has got a worship bubble floating above your head that is the treasure that you long for. Are you pursuing the right treasure? And then you look at a family of five like this and they all have different treasure. Well, no wonder they're not aligned. No wonder they've experienced these low-grade frustrations No wonder sometimes it's hard to to be on the same page as a family because they're not pursuing the same things. They're struggling there in that way. See, I I just want to just briefly here, I just want to show us how misplaced worship can have such a damaging effect on a person and a family. Let me show you this. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5, 15. You can also just look behind me because I'm going to keep moving pretty fast here. 
Paul writes this. He said, and he, speaking of Jesus, died for all that is on the cross, that those who live, that's now us, should no longer live for ourselves, but for him, Jesus, who died for them and was raised again. In other words, when a person comes to Christ, their allegiance switches from living for self to living for Jesus. But Paul actually gives us really great insight here because while we're still living for self, before we trust in Jesus, what are we living for? We're living for self. We're living, see, sin always turns us in on ourself. Let me say it a different way. Your next fill in the blank is this. Sin makes us selfish. What sin does for every single one of us, it locks us in on our wants, our needs, our feelings. It makes us dream dreams that are selfish dreams. It makes us lead to make decisions that are all about us and the plans and the things that we wanna accomplish. Sin motivates us to love ourselves the most. And this is exactly what we need to overcome and what Jesus is trying to help us to overcome. This very idea that is for all of us. See, now when this happens, here's your next fill in the blank. It's a little convicting. And this is that we don't have time to love our family much. Why? Because we're way too busy loving ourselves most. I'm going to step on a couple toes right now, including my own. When our worship is misplaced, when our worship is not on the Lord, and it's on a hundred other things, whatever that may be, what begins to happen is that we want our husband or our wife, we want our kids to love us as much as we love ourselves. And as long as our husband or wife or our kids will do that, then we all have a wonderful relationship. But the second that they don't, because their treasure hunt is interfering with your treasure hunt, now we begin to experience frustrations. We begin to pull at each other. We begin to push on each other. We begin to get frustrated because they're not aligned. See, what happens is even though we love our family, when we're in this type of battle, we begin to view our family, husband, wife, kids, whatever it applies, as either vehicles to help us get what we want or obstacles in the way of what we want. And this becomes the challenge for every single one of us. Let me give you an example. I want you to think of the last two or three times you got angry at somebody in your family. Got it? Why were you mad at them? Were you mad at them because they violated the laws of God's kingdom or they violated the laws of your kingdom? Were you mad at them because they disobeyed God chapter and verse and that breaks the heart of God? Or were you mad at them because they did something that inconvenienced you, bothered you, impacted your expectations once? See, this begins to expose what goes on in every single one of us. The treasure hunt that we're on impacts us. So I wanna ask again, as you think about Adel, Amy, but put your own self, your own family photo in that picture. What's in your worship bubble? What is the thing that is the treasure that you're looking for? The Lord loves you so much. Let me tell you how much he loves you. He will play the role of the great disruptor for any worship bubble above your head that is not locked and centered on him. He will pop it. And we get mad at him for that. What are you doing? 
God, you're supposed to get in line too, just like my family, to help me reach my wants, my kingdom, the things I'm running after. And God says, I love you way too much for that. So he becomes the great disruptor for those things that we have put in, we worship other than him. But he also simultaneously becomes the great pursuer because he wants us to love him. And in his kindness and love, he provides for us family, not to get in line to be vehicles to help us get what we want, but he'll use family and he'll use circumstances to be a blessing, but part of that blessing is to help us get to the end of ourselves and our selfishness and all the things that we long for and pursue that are above the Lord or even serving those in our family. God uses our family to help us with that. He uses the people in our lives to get our attention so that we will worship in the right way and in the right places. So as we close, action step, I have three, three quick questions for you. Number one, I've already asked this, but what treasure are you hunting? Money, success, possessions, Is it comfort, respect, achievement? Is it power? Is it the Lord? Remember, there is a worship war going on in your heart. Who's winning? Who's winning? Number two, how is my treasure hunt impacting my heart and my family? Last week, we talked about how godly families can say and should say and do say, I'm sorry. Maybe today it's recognizing that the treasure I've been hunting has actually hurt the people I love the most. And number three, how can we grow as a family that worships God? In other words, how can we grow as a family that, I mean, we all have free will, but that we become aligned in our desire that we sort of have, not sort of, we do, we have the same worship bubbles above our head, if you will. The treasure that we're hunting, we're aligned as husband and wife. We wanna, we wanna pursue God more than anything else. And we're aligned in that. And with our kids, the same. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up, please, if you would. Because maybe for you, as they get settled, maybe for you, it's about a time to start a new treasure hunt. Maybe for you, it's, I, I am tired of pursuing other things that bring no value and it's time to start pursuing the Lord above everything else. And here's the thing about God that I love. He wants to be found. He's not far from us. In fact, he gives us a map, his word. He even packs you with a walkie-talkie prayer. You can like call him anytime and have that connection with him to have relationship with him. He wants to be known. He wants to be worshiped. Make him your treasure. Make him be the one that you long more than anything else. And as a couple this week, I, I challenge you to reflect on these things. Who am I worshiping? And what impact is that having on my life? Am I worshiping the one who deserves to be worshiped? The one who in Christ came and lived the life we couldn't live, ultimately going to the cross in our place? So we're gonna begin a time of worship this morning. We've already had it, but continue, I should say, a time of worship. And we're gonna do so celebrating communion. If you're at home, grab some bread and juice and please join us with this. But for those of us here on campus, this is a time that we're gonna reflect on the body and blood of Jesus, his sacrifice for each one of us, the bread representing his body, the juice representing his blood. See, the cross screams out that he loves you. 
The cross screams out that he is, again, the great disruptor, but also the great pursuer of you. That you can have a relationship with Christ because of what Christ did on the cross for every single one of us. That we cannot just know about God, but we can know him personally and walk with him and worship him. I'd like to invite the gentlemen to come forward, please. We're gonna help hand out the elements. The worship team's gonna play. Uh, These gentlemen will be handing out the bread and then the juice. I'd like to ask you to hold on to the elements. And then in a moment, we're gonna partake together of the bread and the juice. you to, as we we sing How Great Thou Art this morning, to, to worship along with us in whatever way the Spirit leads you. If it's to sit silently and reflect, that's wonderful. It's, if it's to sit and sing with us, that's wonderful. If you want to find a way to, to stand and join us as we sing, uh, please use this time to, uh, to focus yourselves, to reflect on Jesus Christ.
think about life, we can either pursue being Lord over our life or we can worship the Lord with our life. And we come to the table here this morning and we remember the blood and the body of Jesus given for each one of you. And we're brought to a place, to the cross, to a place of worship, to the sacrificial lamb who gave his life for you to pay the sin penalty for every single one of us. And so as we remember this morning with glad and with sincere hearts, we tell him, thank you. We take the bread and I invite you to do that now as a reminder of his body that was broken for you. Go ahead and partake of the bread. And the juice representing his blood, his life that was laid down for every single one of us. Let's partake with glad hearts now of the juice to remember his sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we do declare that you are great. That you as a creator are greater than anything in creation that we give our hearts to in so many various ways. So this morning we're confessional in that. We, we come with broken hearts, repentant, and we ask the Father we would make you the object of our affection, of our time, of our passions and pursuits. That we respond to your gentle invitation above and beyond all the clamoring and the noise of the world that's calling for our heart to go other places. And help us to love and serve our families well. To do so not as a a ways to vehicles to get what we want, but rather to serve sacrificially. To love as you have loved us. To be a family of worshipers of you only. We continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Please stand and join us as we continue How Great Thou Art. Let's sing verse 4 together.
truly worship a great God. I pray that through his Holy Spirit, he has shown you that this morning. He has maybe even convinced you of that this morning. And um, just excited to see what God does in your lives as individuals and as families this week. As we turn and focus our eyes on him and focus our worship on him. Thank you so much for joining us in worship. We want to encourage you. There's folks available to pray if you'd like to join them. Um, Otherwise, grab your kiddos and enjoy a time of fellowship. Thank you for joining us.